0: Hey,
1: y'all. Welcome to the Anxiety Warriors podcast. We are your hosts, Margot and Abby.
0: We are friends, teachers, and storytellers, but above all, we're anxiety warriors on a mission to raise awareness and understanding about anxiety and mental health.
1: You will hear honest, engaging, and joyful stories from us and many other anxiety warriors about living with anxiety. If you're seeking a space to laugh, connect, feel inspired and empowered, and learn valuable tips rooted in mindfulness and more, your warrior community is here for you. Join us
0: as we navigate this journey of life together.
1: Hey, hey, warriors. Yay! Dropping in at the beginning of this episode to let you know this is another re-listen. Mm-hmm. Surprise! Surprise! Another re-listen. You know, it's the summer. We're taking some time off. Mm Mm-hmm. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. So we are dropping into your feed today. Um, our incredible interview with Jesse Israel.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He was one of our most played episodes. Yep. Back from early season two.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Jesse is just such a, a strong, mindful, calm presence. Mm -hmm. His interview really stands out to me. Um, in my memory, we've had so many incredible interviews with wonderful warriors, but, uh, it definitely makes sense why he has in his like inner circle people like Oprah Winfrey and a lot of other celebrities um and who have covered him right as part yeah. of his uh organization the big quiet he leads mass meditations all over the world and He's just doing big, big things. And we are so proud to have had him um, as a guest on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He's magnetic. He's
0: charismatic. um, But he's also super grounded and like Mm -hmm. thoughtful. And honest. Yeah. 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 So it was just such a really
1: good um, episode that we both really, really enjoyed having this conversation. Yeah. So whether it's your first time listening to Jesse or maybe you're enjoying this re-listen, we hope that you do. And um, we love you, Warriors. See you soon. Welcome back warriors. We are excited that you're here with us again, week after week. It just feels like, it feels like coming home in a way Mm -hmm. Being with all of you, having you be with us as you listen. Um, We had an amazing guest that we are going to be hearing from on today's show. Yep. His name is Jesse Israel. And before Abby jumps into um, our recap of our conversation, let me let you all know a little bit about who Jesse is. Jesse Israel is a social entrepreneur, meditation leader, and former record label executive known for founding the mass meditation movement, The Big Quiet. Jesse has signed multi-platinum bands like MGMT, has led some of the largest meditations in the world, teaches meditation to next generation leaders, and speaks at Fortune 500s and colleges. At the start of 2020, Jesse was invited to go on tour with Oprah Winfrey and WW to speak at and lead mass meditations at sold-out arenas throughout the U.S. Jesse's work has been featured in the New York Times, Vice, Vogue, Fast Company, GQ, and the Wall Street Journal. All right. So, Abby, let us know a little bit about this chat.
0: Yeah. So... I'm gonna be a record when I say this chat was super, super fun. Um, Like I say every week, it was really great to have Jesse on as a guest. Um, So Jesse starts off by sharing how he only really remembers noticing anxiety as a kid uh, while playing sports and the adults watching but it didn't really show up in other areas of his life. He shares how in middle school, he felt like he had peaked. Um, He felt so free. He felt so creative. And he just got so much joy being a leader. And he never really noticed experiencing self-doubt until in middle school, um, he was part of a prank that didn't go as planned, which led to anxiety and and discomfort and self-doubt. Um, He shares how in his early 20s, he started to experience panic attacks. And that's when he really realized like, okay, something's got to change. And uh, he shares through his journey, how he's found support through therapy, through meditation, through community, and how this has led him to help others on their own wellness journey. Um, He shares how he allows anxiety to be a teacher rather than an enemy and how to embrace the beautiful mess that is anxiety. So definitely an episode worth listening to.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, God, it was just such a multifaceted conversation that took me on the roller coaster. And we know all of you warrior listeners will gain so much wonderful inspiration and uh, considerations and things to take away into your anxiety journey. So here's the show. Welcome back warrior family to another episode of anxiety warriors podcast. We have an incredible, incredible guest with us today. Jesse Israel, welcome to the show. Hey,
2: thank you for having me ladies.
1: We are so so excited to um, learn about your journey a little bit, how anxiety shows up in your life. So let's just dive right in with that. Tell us a little bit about your anxiety story.
2: Yeah. Well, the first time that I can really remember experiencing anxiety was actually um, playing sports as a little guy, like in elementary school. Um, I remember feeling this discomfort around performing and being a quote, you know, finger quotes, good athlete in front of my parents and in front of other people's parents. And I was always really comfortable socially, but when it came to sports and like having the, the view of, you know, the, the parents watching, I remember first starting to get some of that performance anxiety. Um, and that was really the only place that it showed up for me that I remembered. I actually asked my parents recently if they remembered me experiencing anxiety um, in other ways. And that was really the only thing they can point to. Um, and by the time I was in um, seventh grade, I um, kind of was peaking in life. <laughs> I was this incredibly creative, bleached haired, super lanky. I was six, two at my bar mitzvah, um, wow. very expressive young guy. I just remember being so connected to doing what felt right to me and just not really having a sense of what other people thought or, or felt, felt a sense of pressure around what people thought. And it was really cool, I just felt really free. So I was super creative and it was really magnetic. And in seventh grade, I was um, uh, I would say just like a natural leader. I was on this retreat in a, um, uh, with the boys and girls of my class. There was about a hundred people in my class. I went to a small private school. And on this retreat, I led this mission where I brought all of the boys into the girls' cabin. And at like 2 a.m., I freaked out the girls, the teachers went nuts. And all 50 of us guys um, had a blast, you know, kind of tormenting. And it was really cool. It really kind of felt like the sense of camaraderie and brotherhood amongst all the students. Um, and when the teachers told us that if any one of us were to make one sound or light a single flashlight, that whoever was responsible for that would be uh, sent to sleep with the teachers. And in that sort of creative, rebellious spirit, I, I encourage all the students to um, when the teachers left, make as much noise as possible, and to just let our flashlights go crazy, and we just we all went nuts, and it was a mutiny. There's only five teachers on this trip, and there was 50 boys, and we were uncontrollable. And I remember the look in the the, the eyes of the teachers. There was this, this like look of fear, and it was clear that I was responsible for it. And they put me on two years of behavior probation, which was oh. something that I was proud of. I was proud of at the time because it was a, it was a school record. Um, but, uh, what that meant was that if I got in trouble once for the next two years, I'd be expelled. My parents were really upset, Mm. um, and being expelled would mean leaving all my friends. And, you know, Mm -hmm. something that just didn't feel like an option. Also, my parents pretty much said I wouldn't be able to talk on the phone for like a year. If I got expelled, (laughs) that wasn't an option. (laughs) Um, and because of, I would say some of this misguided expression and leadership, I put myself in a situation where I really kind of had to shut my mouth Mm -hmm. and I was, I went into therapy and, you know, all this stuff to kind of fix the behavior, behavioral stuff. And in the process, I really remember this feeling of feeling kind of suppressed. And even though I put myself in the position where that was the case by breaking the rules, I remember really feeling kind of silenced and starting to be really concerned again about what, what um what people thought of me or my actions because I was so hyper aware of it
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and that and this by eighth grade at this point is when I first really start remembering having more adult feelings of anxiety and uh concerns about what others thought of me and it was the first time I really started to experience self-doubt and maybe some of this is also puberty which was happening around then but something definitely shifted around those series of events and the decisions that I made and um By the time I was a young adult and running a record label out of my dorm room and working really hard, um, a lot of that stuff just kind of got compounded. I just noticed myself often uh, doubting my decisions and my capability, as well as feeling a lot of anxiety from just overworking and burning out and not having any tools around how to run a business as a young guy. Cause my, yeah. my idea as a man running a business was like, you just work as hard as possible and make as much money as possible. It wasn't sustainable for me. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little evolution of, of kind of how this stuff came to light. And then by the time I was 23, I started having, you know, full blown panic attacks. And that's when I realized that I needed to, you know, do some work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So there's like, you, you paint such like a beautiful picture, right? So I have like so many different questions, but I'm going to try to organize my thoughts. So the first thing I just want to like highlight is like, you said you felt free in middle school and like, I know that's so good to me too.
1: It peaked in seventh grade,
0: what a gift, a you know, like that feeling of freedom. Oh my gosh. I just wanted to like point that out. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that about their middle school years. Like, I know
2: I get it. People, yeah. people often respond that way. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could show you a visual. I just, I was just, I think I, I, I I was just bursting with creativity Mm -hmm. and really, truly, it was like the last time I can remember in my life, just not caring what other people thought. I mean, to the point where it got me in trouble but it was, right. it was liberating. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Exactly. You can always like tap. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people think of middle school, like it's like cringy or, Oh, I wish I was confident or free or
2: right, ca- right.
0: care what other people thought. Like that's always like the advice. Um, so I just want to like highlight that. Um, and then, uh, my first question is with the performance anxiety in sports, right. Um, how did that like, show show up like did you did you participate did you play extra hard did you you know overthink it later did you try to get out of participating like what was that like that performance anxiety
2: Well, the way that it showed up for me then it's probably I would say is is pretty much lined up with how I've continued to address that type of thing throughout my life which was that I saw I shied away from it so mm-hmm. although in, in PE, when I was in PE with no parents watching and I was really comfortable with my group of friends, you know, I'd crush it on the basketball court. Yeah. Um, but when we were playing in the sports league, where it was, where it was boys, I didn't know. And parents, I didn't know. And I could feel that anxiety come up, I really shy away and I would kind of hide from the ball. Yeah. That was the way that I went about it. So yeah. then sports, these public, these more public styles of sports became something that I dreaded.
0: Right. Right. Um, so okay so there's still like a billion thoughts that i have but but the next thing that i want to just really talk about a little bit is Um, that power struggle in middle school right because the thing is is that you were being a leader and rather than the teachers acknowledging okay he's a leader let's build him up in that but help him with direction on how to do it like so he understands how he impacts others instead it was like a two-year punishment right yeah and so As a, as an adult, I guess, like what, I, I don't even know my question so much is just like, it's like adults have a lot of power and who knows if they had helped you harness that leadership then, right. Rather than like punishing you and making you feel like you, if you messed up, that's it. You're out. You lose your friends, you lose your phone, you lose your connection. Like,
2: right, right. It's something that I'm going to talk to my parents about, uh, in a couple of weeks, actually, because I've been doing some work with the coach around some of this stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, w- which is why it's so present to me and w- while sharing and why I'm sharing it here. Um, and I want to talk to my parents about that because I can imagine that I put them in a situation where they were just really frustrated because I've been getting in trouble for years. Yeah. And it really just pushed it to the edge. And I think in many ways they were fed up, but I did this exercise two weeks ago where I wrote a letter to my parents as eighth grade me, I didn't share it with my parents yet, but I wrote a letter to my parents and it was, It was like a, hey, mom and dad, this is what I'm feeling. And this is what I need letter. Yeah. And I've never done any of these types of exercises before. I haven't looked at my past much, but in this exercise, what was coming up for me was this feeling of um, mom and dad, I feel really scared Mm -hmm. and I feel really held back. And I know that I have um, some really powerful gifts to share, but I know that sharing them is hurting people can you help me figure out how to do this in a way where I can use my gifts without hurting you and others? Wow. And um, look today, I think for like, as like a 37 year old man, that'd be a little bit of a cop-out. Um, wow. but I think as an eighth grader, I didn't really fully have the tools to understand how to navigate it. Yeah. Um, and didn't fully know how to take responsibility for my actions. Um, but also felt a lot of good in the leadership because yeah. I, I loved how much it connected the boys students. Getting in trouble mm. would allow, like create this sense of camaraderie around, amongst all the group of boys, because you could have the, the, you know, the nerdy group, the jock group, whatever, the punks, we all would, would do these things together. And I loved the sense of community that was, that was formed in that. So I, I felt a lot of good in it. But anyways, so in writing that letter to my parents, it was like, I, I felt that coming up in me, you know, how can you help me
0: craft right. this? Right. And okay, I don't, I don't so, know
2: what the solution would have been, but
0: <laughs> well, well, I, I will say, because I know that we have a lot of parents that listen um, to our podcast. And what I will uh-huh. say is like your behavior based on my little understanding of neuroscience and brain development was totally appropriate.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: adolescent brains do is push boundaries, right? That's where we that's how we keep evolving is a lot of it stems from the adolescent brain and like the seeking for creativity and the pushing boundaries and everything. And so sounds like what everyone, what the grownups needed to do was know a little bit more about brain development and be like, okay, Mm. we see this behavior. Let's just help guide him.
1: Cause what you were doing was totally appropriate for that age.
2: Mm, That's cool to hear. uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, cause I mean, I I mean, I have, again, I want to say very little (laughs) knowledge of neuroscience as well, but, right, as mindfulness teachers, we and people who've been studying children for a very, very long time, I think Abby and I are somewhat uniquely you know, equipped or understanding at least of, um, of that time period and what's going on with not just uh, physically, but what's going on emotionally with, with adolescents and children. So, a couple of things came up I wanted to bring up too, which, and you said it, both of you said it again, which was like the expectations of adults. And then the the sort of not fair, and I am going to be as bold and say it wasn't a fair punishment, right for for a child of that age because, and it's interesting because you said you peaked in seventh grade that you were, you know, a six two was it, at that age,
0: yeah.
1: right? So like yeah. my my what went through my mind when you were sort of beautifully painting that picture was like. When younger children, right, misbehave air quotes or they they screw up or something they do they don't do something appropriate again more air quotes, um, their punishments tend to be a little bit, you know, more appropriate because it's like they're little they're still kids right people look at them a little bit differently but then all of a sudden there's this shift when kids get to middle school and I I've sort of seen this a lot with my work with with uh, elementary school teachers. And then with middle school teachers and I know Abby's like nodding, it's the same thing. Like, and it seems like the punishments go from like, you know, like hardly anything to, Oh my gosh, now you're expected to be an adult Mm. and behave Mm. more adult-like and you have, you'd better start growing up right now. Right. And I think a lot of times because uh, preteens at that age are experiencing such a big growth spurt in many cases, um, they wind up being looked at by their, by adults, by teachers, by other adults at the building. Parents, as like, oh, you need to start growing up. You need to start, you know, acting like a man or a woman or act like a young lady or young, young man. And it's just like so misguided. And so I really appreciated mm. you kind of, both of you kind of re that up and like, yeah, like that, that eighth grade you letter, that sounds like something that hopefully is going to be really impactful for everybody.
2: <laughs> mm. Thank you for sharing this perspective. It's great it's really valuable to hear because the coach that i've been working on on with this stuff has has really kind of encouraged me to take responsibility for my actions around it because the story that i've had around it for a while was i was just being expressive and young mm-hmm. and doing my thing and then i got silenced and the perspective shift that's been in, that she's been encouraging me is no you weren't being considerate of your fellow students the uh, the parents and the teachers, and that you know, you need to take responsibility for those actions. And I hear, I hear that too. Mm-hmm. But it's really nice to also have a little bit of space to be like, well, actually, you were pretty young, and this is like, you know, this was yeah. you being young and ex- exploring your gifts and making sense of that age. Yeah. So there's a sense of relief in that, and I appreciate that. I love how this podcast turned into Jesse therapy sessions.
1: <laughs> they all do. <laughs> <laughs> It's bizarre whenever we hear that. I'm like, I I could literally therapize. No, no, I know that's not a word. Not a single soul. I'm I'm just barely getting by as a human myself. So just reiterate that. Um. All right. I appreciate so, that input. <laughs> so share with us a little bit about how anxiety either showed or shows up in your mind, your body, and your behaviors. So like, what is it that you ex- like? When Abby asked you about how you reacted to, uh, performance anxiety in sports when you were really young. And you, you know, you kind of painted that picture for us of like what it was like for you when you were really little, all the way up through, you know, being in your early twenties. So like, how does it fe- how did it feel in your body? What kinds of things came up inside of you?
2: Yeah. When I first, let's see, when I first started to experience anxiety, at least as early as I can remember bodily stuff, it's probably more in my, in my early twenties. Um, I remember feeling it in my chest, and feeling um, tightness in my chest, and also feeling it in the veins of my arms. It's almost like I could really feel the cortisol pumping,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, in my stomach, I'd find this kind of this shooting sort of uh, discomfort that kind of mm-hmm. hit in the belly when it would kick in or when something would trigger it. Um, and when I first started to experience panic attacks. Then it was the more intensive symptoms of intensive heart palpitations, um, the the sweating and the loss of control, and then the feeling like the feeling of doom, like the world's gonna end. And shout out to anybody who's listening who's experienced panic attacks before. Yeah. Part of what's so challenging about them, at least what I've experienced, has been that. While, ex- while being in a panic attack, I find that it's really challenging to remember that it will pass. Mm-hmm. They always pass. But in the experience of a panic attack, it, it just almost has felt, impo- it has felt almost impossible to remember that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that it will pass. And that's part of what's so challenging about panic attacks is that that perspective gets lost. Yeah. Um and I've seen people make incredible work around that and being able to even while having a panic attack be bring enough mindfulness to the experience to 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 be aware of that but when I was experiencing panic attacks I wasn't able to do that so my whole body was would shut down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my my first question in in, in a little bit we're going to talk about like strategies and coping and ways um, that you've supported yourself during anxiety but my my first question is do you still have panic attacks now? Is that something that they still sometimes happen or they kind of like stop once you started to get help around your um, mid twenties?
2: Yeah, they, they stopped. um, Yeah. They stopped when I, when I started to get help, I started uh, therapy, medication and meditation. Yeah. And those three things all really helped me that I found that the regular meditation, well, I know we'll get to this in a second, but that the, that the, re- the regular meditation really, um, allowed me to start to ease off of the medication and, and some of the other stuff. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, okay. So another question, and again, we'll get to the meditation and the therapy and the coping more, but, um, so it was around 23 when you had the panic attack. And and my first thought is like, you're in college starting a business, like that's fucking incredible. Right. Like, right. And you're thinking like, I'm not doing enough. Right. And you're, Uh I mean, First of all, like hearing that story, like you know, I'm 39 and starting a business. <laughs> like, <laughs> what was I doing in college? So, so just the like, um, the I, I don't like amusement in like a 23 year old who's doing some incredible stuff at such young age, feeling so overworked and stressed and anxious is just you know, it's it's so fascinating to me. Um, but then, so my next part of the, the question is. What made you decide to get therapy? What made you decide to get help? Because I feel like in our country, especially there's a lot of stigma around one asking for help and there is stigma around therapy. So what, what allowed you to, you know, you talked about like being a man and making money, right? And like, what allowed you to feel like you could get help and get therapy?
2: Honestly, it was, the experiences that I were having that I was having were so painful. Like the internal stuff was so challenging and confusing because yeah. on the outside it seemed cool you know I was running this record label and we were partying and throwing concerts and you know young guys and our the first band we signed did really well. And there's all this external stuff that you know was really cool. but internally, it was really it was really I was really going through it. Yeah. And I was just getting I was getting sick pretty much every month, I was having trouble sleeping. I was, social anxiety was getting bad. I found that it was really challenging for me to be like intimate and sexual with women. I like, you know, just wouldn't get aroused. Yeah. It was like, I just felt so blocked. Yeah. And I just realized that that wasn't a sustainable way to live. And that the ways that I had been modeling kind of my, my life as a man and my work as a man she wasn't working for me yeah um so i talked to my dad and by the way in the music biz at that time there weren't conversations about mental health and there was way less just in general because this was i don't know, i'm 37 now so it's a while you know was a while ago um there was just way less conversation around wellness in general mm-hmm. so it didn't feel like it was an external thing it felt like it was more of an internal process to explore but i have amazing parents even though Agreed. they threatened to take my <laughs> Yeah, Abby knows them. Even though they threatened to take away my phone for one year period if I got in trouble. They have amazing <laughs> parents. <laughs> they, I mean, really um- quick,
1: are we- we're talking about like, you know, a landline, right?
2: We're talking to landline. For
1: yeah. Okay. I, a I mean, when you said you were 37, I was like, oh man, I'm like, is this person a lot younger than us? And then you said it a couple of times. It's like, okay. Yeah. Just like us. He's an 80s landline. baby like yeah, us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so very different for totally. the today.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. No. And, and for, and for those, for, for the, for the youth that might be listening, the landline was the Holy grail. I mean, we did, I didn't have yeah, a cell phone. That landline was everything.
1: Everything. Mm-hmm.
2: And I had a serious crush at that period of my life, and not being able to talk to her about the who knows what we would talk about on the phone for seven hours every night. Yeah, 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 fall asleep with the landline on, yeah, on the pillow. Yeah, um, anyways, my parents were, uh, were awesome, so I was able to share with them what was going on. And my dad suggested that I check out meditation mm-hmm. because he was really into Buddhism, he was, uh, you know. Yeah, he 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 loved the the as a Jew he loved the Buddhist philosophies, and was kind of exploring this middle ground between the two. And he suggested that I, I check out uh, that I check out meditation,
0: mm-hmm. that it would
2: help for my with my stress. So I went to like a, a free meditation seminar at Chambala um, when I was when I was in my you know earlier mid twenties, and um, realized that it was incredibly helpful. Just a short period of time practicing a daily quiet practice was really helpful um, and started to make meaningful progress and also felt like there were other ways to explore it beyond having the internal practices and had experience with therapy from when I was had my behavioral issues mm-hmm. <laughs> and went from, from really hating that therapist when I was in eighth grade to, to, <laughs> to wind up really loving them later on in high school. I, got, I went back into therapy when I was a senior and loved that therapist. So, I was able to go, okay, cool. I'm exploring this internal stuff with meditation. It's helping. And I want someone that I can talk to and explore this with. Um, Grateful for the resources to be able to have access to a therapist. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. And um, got to do both. And also, that therapist um, prescribed or recommended that I meet with a psychiatrist that was able to prescribe an SSRI to me. That is a whole other conversation because I have so many thoughts there. But at that time in my life, I found that to be really helpful as well. Yeah. Um, so there were, um, there were yeah a handful of things that led me to feeling like I could lean into support. And I'll tell you this, in a short period of time, I realized that especially when it came to opening myself up to help
0: mm-hmm. in these
2: ways, that it was just a way to access more of my power and more of my masculine power. And it wasn't this like, you know, soft, soft guy, wellness stuff that I maybe, you know, always kind of thought of or that I think a lot of men still think of. For me, it was like, no, this is actually a way for me to tap more into my masculinity, more, more into my power and potential. And then as a result, the way that I was able to enhance my life, not only by experiencing more internal joy, but just everything changed for me in the workplace. You know, Mm -hmm. I just like, I was way more creative and just getting way more done, just innovating. And so much changed for me with meeting women and with dating and just with exploring my own sexuality, that was really powerful. And I opened up socially. So, you know, there was so much good that enhanced the things that I always kind of valued as a man, Yeah. but I never thought that these things would, would help, you know, improve them in those
0: ways. Wow. Wow. It's so, it's so just powerful, that ripple effect right? Like it took so much for you to get there. And fortunately you had like an awesome dad who was like, Hey, try this. And it led you down this path, but it just rippled out to so many different areas, which is just, it's so powerful. It's like therapy doesn't only help with anxiety, right? It it helps in all of these facets of life. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
2: Right. Sure.
1: You know, um, You've shared so much already about these powerful practices that seem like they're regular for you, like meditation. You mentioned medication, uh, speaking with therapists. So like share with our listeners, a lot of folks are always asking us, like, what are some like in the moment now things that we can do to cope with our anxiety? And so whenever you do notice your anxiety kind of starting to creep in or spike a little bit, what are some of your favorite like go-to practices or maybe just one or two?
2: yeah well for me it's probably the most challenging but it's also the most meaningful when it comes to moving through anxiety for me it's when i notice that it's coming up that i embrace it and bring love to it as opposed to you know fight it or try to resist it or figure out what i'm doing wrong to you know solve for it and i understand the tendency to want to do that um you know, I think we, we live in a world that makes clear to us that like being happy and smiling and having great things and nice things and perfect relationships is the way that we need to be and anything else is less than. So it's easy when we feel anxiety to be like, I, this feels uncomfortable. I need to get rid of this right away. What do I do? What am I doing wrong? Right. And I think that anxiety also just triggers that in our system because it's, it's just, it's over, it's overreacting our, our body's fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So, you know the the body's thinks that by figuring out what's creating the anxiety and something that's life threatening, so we need to get to the bottom of it, right? This you know whole mess, yeah. um, a beautiful mess because it is designed to keep us safe. Yes, <laughs> a it,
0: beautiful it, mess. I love so it. Twenty
2: twenty in twenty twenty one, it is a beautiful mess.
0: Yeah, um, when we
2: were when we were hunters and gatherers, it was just straight up you know saving our lives from that's the tigers, right a
0: lifesaver. Different
2: story now. Um. So, anyways, when I feel it. When I'm able to just notice it, feel it in my body and bring some love to it and just understand that it's, it's an experience that my body is having. It's moving through it. I'm actually learning from it and getting stronger as a result of not resisting it and moving through it. And when I'm able to, to just bring some of that love and acceptance to whatever my body's experiencing and feeling, I notice that it's, it kind of will lose its grip and start to melt. This is a very tough thing to do when we experience anxiety. It's like what I talked yes. about, the panic attacks. It can be really tough to have that perspective.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, but when I'm able to do that, when I'm able to remind myself, this is something that I, probably billions of people in our world experience. And it's okay to experience it. You know, we we live in a confusing time and it's okay to experience It's not that I'm not bad or wrong for having these feelings. Um, Just that as a starting point, brings some love and softness to it and really helps loosen it. And that's not the end all be all, but I think it's a really important starting point. Mm -hmm. Now, beyond that, I also find that for me, especially recently moving my body has just been really helpful. You know, I'm like, I'm not talking about doing like some super intensive hit exercise that might work for some people. Sometimes it works for me, but just getting a nice fast walk going, mm-hmm. being in the sun, if I'm able to access the sun.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um maybe it's doing a little jump rope or you know, just doing getting down on the floor and doing some push-ups or some sit-ups, but helping move, just getting my body moving, yeah. moving through space really helps when I'm feeling that anxiety come up. And then in the moments, uh, in the moments when I'm not able to do that, or I'm not able to leave my home or can't sweat or whatever, um, the breathing practice that really helps me so much is, is, is when I take, um, a big breath in pretty much as much air as I can take and I hold it for about five seconds and then Mm -hmm. I let it out Mm. and I do that five times. Yeah. And I and I just find that the big breath in, holding it and then releasing it and then repeating it helps just bring down the noise and bring that nervous system back to a place of balance, even if it's just temporary balance. Yeah. And of course, you know, like this is not gonna be a surprise, but a daily meditation practice (laughs) really helps me experience less anxiety in general. It's kind of foundational to experiencing less in the first place, but Mm -hmm a daily meditation experience, a a daily meditation practice for however many years I've been doing this, 10 plus years teaching this, going on tour with Oprah, talking about meditation, all of these accolades, I still experience anxiety and, uh, and meditation is helpful as it is, is not, um, you know, a magic bullet when it comes to this, but it is a really helpful tool to help reduce it.
0: Yes. Yes. I I love that you're saying that piece because I feel like sometimes people think like, oh, my meditation practice isn't working because I still feel anxiety or, right, right. right. And, and I feel the exact same way. Like it helps me, it supports me, it builds that foundation, but my anxiety is still there. It still pops mm-hmm. up, but now I have a set of tools where I can help myself rather than like, you know, running myself to the ground or burning out or, Whatever happens if I don't tend to it. Right. Um, I think that part is so important is we still will have anxiety, but now we have tools to support ourselves, yeah, yeah. and I love I love the the piece at the beginning about companioning, the anxiety, right? It's mm. not about squashing it down. It's not about ignoring it and pretending it doesn't exist. It's not about waiting until it gets so bad that you actually have to deal with it. It's like, when you notice, right. And sometimes, I mean, I'll speak for me. Sometimes I notice it right away, but sometimes it'll be a few hours and I'm like, Oh my God, I've been anxious for hours and behaving in a weird way. Right. Um, and, but when you're noticing it, instead of like, you know, being like, what's wrong with me, why do I have this? You know, it's like, no, I'm going to show you some love. I'm going to embrace you. And we're going to figure this out
1: together. Like I'm here. anxiety.
2: Right. Yes. Beautiful
1: stuff. Yeah. I love that you brought that up too, Abby, because I feel like, and again, I'll I'll speak for myself. Being friends with my anxiety is the only way through. It's the <laughs> only way I I would just be just a floating, just a floating orb above my body <laughs> all the time. If I didn't befriend my anxiety, cause she's mm-hmm. always here. Um, and yes, it's a she, her name is Bertha. Um, <laughs> yes. so going, uh, on a little bit, I would love to, uh, or I would love for you to share with our listeners, if you could describe your relationship to your anxiety with like a word or a phrase or a sentence, like how would you describe it?
2: Um, I would describe it as, as tumultuous mm-hmm. because especially, especially more recently in my life, um, uh, yeah, I like I, I've, I've had I had some some health stuff came up. I got I had mold exposure this year.
0: Oh, gosh. And
2: it's yeah, like pretty bad. And it set off some real cognitive challenges and mm-hmm. set off some pretty intense um, like anger reactions mm-hmm. and, and um, anxiety um, and stuff that really kind of put me through a great test as like this, you know, wellness. Figure meditation teacher guy. Yeah. I got really hit with a lot of the opposite of the benefits of all the things that I experienced through my practices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was really tested, and uh, this year, this year is in particular. Um, so it's created this really kind of bumpy experience that I've been through with my anxiety, and it's challenged a lot of what I thought in regards to I got my shit together. I can, I, I, I you know, I can handle my anxiety. This kind of stuff. Um. Wow. So it's, it's, it's definitely created a more tumultuous relationship that I'd say is starting to turn back into, um, a place of companionship, like you described. Mm -hmm. Um, but this year it's been tumultuous. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't think we'll get to talk that much about it, but, but you just shared like, yeah, you are a wellness guy, right? People know you, you are a meditation teacher and in my mind, there was, like, this connection to, like, the performance anxiety, right? And I know we spoke about it in sports, and I know you said it didn't really come in other areas, but I, I, I guess my thought is, like, is there the pressure to, like, have it all together <laughs> because of who, you know, who you are and what you teach, like.
2: Totally. Yeah, yeah that's come up. That's come up all the time. hmm and I've I've had several moments in my career doing this work where it's really been kind of smashed into me that I need to let it go because it's um exhausting yeah. to try to live into this role of what I always thought um uh you know a wellness figure or a meditation teacher was supposed to look like.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, love, light, um, mm-hmm. healthy and glowing and always in a great mood, always having the answers to anybody's problems, <laughs> mm-hmm. never having my own problems, Yep. <laughs> but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a Scorpio moody motherfucker <laughs> and it's part of what makes me special as a teacher and relatable, but it's definitely part of <laughs> There are things about me that are just very unlike you know what I always thought a meditation teacher was supposed to look like.
1: That's so sweet. at first
2: that was like there was a lot of you know imposter syndrome stuff in that, mm-hmm. like I think so many of us teachers deal with, which I have grown to realize is like this critical, almost like boot camp grad school of becoming a teacher is that the imposter syndrome stuff is like required experience yes. to yes. be in our power as teachers. Um, cause it breaks us down and helps us realize that it's being a human being and being able to communicate our lived experience and just being embodied in what we've learned. That makes us great teachers, not this older concept of teacher perfectionism, which is also like an older generational thing, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I can definitely relate to that. And when that comes up, it's always just a really great opportunity for me to go, you know what? I do it differently. I do it my way. Yes. And the more I'm able to embrace that, the more I'm able to enjoy the work that I do feel less exhausted by it mm-hmm. and help more people.
0: Yes. Yeah. It gives that's people it. permission to accept themselves as they are in all of their humanness. Like that's right. when you embody accepting, like I'm moody, <laughs> like right. It's like, it gives other people, Oh, I'm just at the beginning of my meditation practice, but you know, I'm moody too. Oh, that's awesome. It's okay that I can be moody and I can also meditate and be a meditation practitioner. You know, it's like, right. it's empowering. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. I and I think it's, I, I think it's important. Go I know. On, I just, it
1: always makes me laugh when, whenever it's so many of the teachers that we do that do are like, something in the wellness field, like our work, it's just like, don't act like a, what do you mean? You get angry how are you filled with rage? How, what, why are you crying about? I'm like, cause A, I'm a and yeah, I love that you said you were a Scorpio. I'm a Cancer. So like I align so deeply with like my Cancer roots and just being like emotional mess of a human. Um, and I think it's important to embrace all the ridiculousness. And that's part of what makes us special. That's like, as you just said beautifully, Jesse, it's what makes you, you. It's what drives mm-hmm. people to want to learn from you because you're not fake you behave like a human being and a human being should want to learn from other human beings that are imperfect and imbalanced and have fucked up lives and stories because those are the most interesting teachers. Those are the people I like learning from. Mm -hmm. So I just value bringing all of that up. Um, and I know, I feel like I cut you off. Were you going to add something at the end there?
2: No, I, I don't remember, but i so appreciate you, uh, validating that. Thank you. It's cool to hear.
1: No problem. (laughs) All right. Um, So you could jump in a time machine, go back in time to a younger version of yourself and offer yourself a bit of advice. What would you say?
2: Um, It would be, it's really lined up with what we just talked about. It's to, it would be to um, remind myself that what makes me really special is my own unique life path. And that the concept of needing my life to look like my peers' lives from a career standpoint or from a relationship standpoint or whatever, um, that that's like a great way to experience suffering by feeling Mm -hmm. like it needs to look like my peers' lives. Mm -hmm. And that if I'm able to every step of the way, just really celebrate my own journey and my own path because it's what makes me uniquely me, there's so much joy to be had in every single moment but that's something that I've really struggled with over the years. I've, you know, growing up in an affluent part of Los Angeles with, you know, successful parents and with peers who, you know, successful parents, this path that we've been on has been one of um, expectations around financial success, powerful jobs and roles. Yeah. Um, so when I made the choice to Move out of the entertainment world as I knew it, like leaving the the music, the record label, and to start to explore group meditations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had a lot of trouble around just embracing the fact that I was following something that I I felt was serving a need, Mm -hmm. and that really felt fulfilling and gratifying to me. And a lot of times, my comparison to others' paths um, took away the the ability for me to just enjoy the unique thing that I was doing. So. To be able to set old me down and and find a way to help younger me understand that my own path, my unique path, and the differences Mm -hmm. within my path are what make me uniquely, beautifully, and perfectly me. And to find find ways to celebrate that, I think it would have, um, if I was able to actually embody that, I think think it could have helped with a lot of pain along the journey. (laughs) Yeah. It's beautiful, but I still struggle with that. So you know, that's advice that I could give younger me, and then I could give current Jesse too.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll take that's that advice best. too. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's the best kind of
1: advice—advice advice that lives in the past, or could have would have been great, but right. also serves us now. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what makes it good. Oh, so good. All right. So, final question before we jump into some fun lightning round, get to know Jesse Israel like questions. What does being an anxiety warrior mean to you?
2: See, to me, being an anxiety warrior is really about finding a loving relationship with my anxiety. It's, 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 it's really about um, welcoming it, feeling it, having conversations with it, bringing love to it, um, and treating it more like a teacher and more like a strengthener than like an enemy.
0: Yeah. I love that it's like looking at it as a teacher. Like, what are you teaching me now?
1: It's awesome. All right. All right. Well, are you ready for <laughs> some lightning round? <laughs> 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 this is the kind of like I'm sure just really grade A sound effects you're used to Jesse, right? When it comes to your podcasting experience, I imagine that like in all of your, you know, years of being in front of just incredible people and celebrities and you know whoever that this this is the you know <laughs> This is a. what you're used to. <laughs> this is the norm. I, kn- I know it. I know it. That's the imposter. My impo- This is me joking my way through my own imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Defense mechanism number four thousand. Okay. Oh. Let's I jump- Prefer it. <laughs> That's yes. it. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So we're gonna jump into some lightning round questions. Mm-hmm. Do not need to answer quickly. You can take a pause, take a breath, consider your answer, and Abby yes. and I will go back and forth and have some fun. Yes. Yes. Avenue. Are you ready? Let's go.
0: All right. So I'll go first, Margot. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. If you owned a camp, what would be the name of your camp and what would the campers reminisce about it when they are adults to their kids?
2: Um, it would be called camp explosion. <laughs> I don't know why it's just what came to me, lightning yep. around. And <laughs> the idea with the camp would be that we would do all these, we do all these huge group activities together, like giant group bike rides and giant dance parties and like, like 500 person cooking classes. Um, and it would just be about creating big energy with each other and what they would reminisce about with their kids would be, um, how powerful it felt to, to, um, uh, to contribute and to create with other people. And, you know, what I love about, what I love about big group activities is that people kind of have to participate mm-hmm. and that in doing so it allows people to go, oh yeah, I got some gifts I can give, like tap into some power that otherwise might not be accessed. Aww. So I feel like when they were reminiscing about it with their kids that they would be like, I learned some, some skills and some of my, access, some of my power that I didn't know existed before. That's what I got out of summer
1: camp for myself, so I don't want that for others.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, camp explosion. Camp explosion. All right,
1: my mind went. I, is- I heard explosion. <laughs> I thought about danger, and like, <laughs> this is not my camp. But all right, everything you said sounded great, uh-huh. though. Yeah,
0: we're ready for you to start the camp. We'll be yes. some counselors there. You yeah. Know. Can, or can
1: it be for adults too? Like, can we? Oh yeah, that camp could explosion. work too. <laughs> that sounds really good. Although I. I mean, yeah, the name, I, I have to come around to it. I, I can't think of almost anything but actual explosions. All right, so do you have any hidden talents?
2: Yeah, I do. I, um, I play piano. I play, uh, I cover R&B songs on the piano. It's the one that I'm, I'm best known for, which um, people often request. <laughs> Is uh Pony by Genuine? Oh
1: my god, stop <laughs> it right
2: now! <laughs> yeah, it's one of my go to, one of my go to piano hits, piano karaoke hits.
1: Oh my, oh my god, Abby, you better follow up. Okay, okay,
0: will you sing us your favorite line or three lines from Pony? We'll give you the back. Yeah,
2: beat. Sure. Just
1: kidding, I won't do that.
2: <clears throat> I'm just a bachelor. I'm looking for a partner. Someone who knows how to ride without even falling off. I'll stop there because it starts to get <laughs> I, know,
1: I went right? back to
0: eighth grade dance right there. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> so good.
2: Totally. Oh my gosh. Totally.
1: That was a brilliant. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Me or you? You. Okay. No, that okay. follow-up doesn't count. Okay. Um,
0: okay. But now I got inspired. So in high school, when, in, when we got yearbooks, a lot of us won superlatives. So one, did you win any superlatives and what were they? And two, what should you have won?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I did. I got one. Mine was, (laughs) mine, mine was a dig on me. Um, I, I, I drove this, like this big um, kind of like this big kind of cool SUV that um, I spent all my bar mitzvah money on. <laughs> I had like big, like flossy rams and shit. Um, and I just kind of had a big personality. But anyways, my, my, mine was most likely to be compensating for something. And I think it was a joke that my big car and all these mm-hmm. like, flashy ways was a way to make up for a joke that I had a small penis. Not true. But I'll take it.
1: <laughs> I can't believe that was an option in your yearbook. That, yeah. that was something that people voted for. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't think yeah, it was a vote. It was like some weird system where it was like a committee of people that chose,
1: oh. and everyone mm. had
2: to every, everyone had to approve theirs.
1: Oh, I said, I said oh. Have your
2: fun. Have your there fun. There
0: you go. We, <laughs> we didn't get to now. approve ours. Yeah. Same.
2: <laughs> also, not every not everybody got one at my school too.
0: Oh yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't like. Oh yeah. So, yeah. what would you have won? Yeah. If, what? What if you could give yourself one now for your high school days?
2: I also got. I also got best fashion. I guess that's different than the superlative. But I also got best fashion, which that made up for it.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, most likely to. Oh, man, that's a good question. Most likely to. Know, something you know for uh, for whatever reason, what keeps coming to mind is. Um, when I was in seventh grade at, and I would crash bar mitzvahs, go to a lot of bar mitzvahs and crash bar mitzvahs, I used to, um, I used to, da- I had like some really great dance moves mm-hmm. um, and they come out now pretty heavily at weddings and just in general at parties, I just did this, like big dance energy. <laughs> so I don't know, I just feel like it would be, you know, m- most likely to become uh, maybe a male stripper or yeah. most, likely, <laughs> most likely to be on Dancing with the Stars.
1: All right, those it. are two very different things. I just want to say, I was I was like runner up for best answer in my for my yearbook, and I was like pissed I didn't win, but it's cool. It was, it was a popularity contest, I, like I'm sure it was for all of our high schools. But Abby, did you ever get one? Did I you, got four. Whoa! So, yeah, I mean,
0: it wasn't most likely two. It was like I won most talkative, shocking, and most guffable. <laughs> And done most for class. I did a lot of fundraisers for our class and um, most
1: flirtatious. Oh, man. (laughs) Trouble. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you kind of touched on, which I'm guessing that was your first car before when you mentioned the car. So I'm going to skip that question (laughs) and ask you instead, what was your high school celebrity crush?
0: Mm.
2: Oh, Jessica Alba, for sure.
1: Oh, oh yeah, she's still okay. so hot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: totally agree.
0: Okay, my last question: yeah. uh, What movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical?
2: Oh, I'd love to see a Clockwork Orange as a musical. Oh just my kind of like god, this dystopian future, like super violent film. <laughs> one of my favorite. One of my favorite movies.
1: Yes, a classic. Um,
2: Yeah, that'd be a beautiful musical.
1: I loved it. Okay, final question. Close your eyes, take a breath, and then tell us the first thing that pops into your mind.
2: Knitwear. (laughs) What was it? I think it's knitwear. I think it's because I've just just seen the knitted beanie on Margot's head. (laughs) <laughs> but I just saw like a beautifully elaborate knitted um, holiday cardigan. Aww.
1: All right. Now that's is it like awesome. ugly holiday cardigan or like that's nice? It. Oh, it's nice. Very okay. Cute.
2: No, I would wear it. I would wear it to. You would wear
1: cardigan. it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This was so fun. Thank you yes. for being playful, yes. and playing, getting down in the mud with us here on during lightning round. Um, so before we have you share with our guests where they can find you and how they can connect with you, we'd love it. If you'd share with us a win of the week,
2: Win of the week. Yeah, sure. Um, last night I decided that I would take the night off and make no plans, didn't talk to anybody. Uh, I turned on my BioMat, which is this infrared hemp mat that I love. I sat on it in my undies and I watched Tiger King season two yes! and I ate a couple of keto, a couple of keto, uh, buttercups yeah. and just allowed myself to just have have a, have a night like that. And I love those when I can do those. Yeah, and uh, yes. that felt like a big, that felt like a big win. I'm actually probably going to do it again tonight because I learned that I was by someone that uh, I was, I was at a dinner with someone a couple of nights ago that I was exposed to, that has COVID. Oh no! So I'm going to now I'm going to be taking it easy for a little bit. So that might be what my next couple of nights look like.
0: Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's just permission to like relax
1: and enjoy and That's totally it. I love okay. it. Right. Great win. All right, Jesse. So tell everyone where they can connect with you, where they can find you or your work
2: on Instagram at Jesse is real, my website, Jesse And then if you're interested in the work of the big quiet at the big quiet and the big quiet.com.
1: Yeah. So good. Yeah. Thank and you the big so much. Quiet is
0: awesome. Like I went to one um, experience in New York city and I highly recommend If you feel safe being in public during COVID, go check out one of these events for sure. It's, it's, it's incredible.
2: Thanks Abby.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, for being here with us on the podcast. We really, really enjoyed having you.
2: Of course. Thanks to both of you for having me.
1: Thank you. Bye. Woo. What an episode. Yes. Yes. So, so re-listening. Re- yeah. So good re-listening to this episode. Um, he's just so Jesse is just a very grounded presence. Yes. Yeah. I hope that all the warrior listeners felt that like mm-hmm. as well, because I felt um it felt like I, I guess I feel like this about all the guests we've talked to. It felt like talking to someone that understands me and sees yes. me, right? Mm-hmm. That's like talking to a friend, mm-hmm. um, which I always appreciate. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's like, right. I mean, when we all share this thing of anxiety, right. There's, there's this like connection, there's this community. It's mm-hmm. like, it's easier. It's easier to like, let our guards down when we're all sharing something that we know really well. Right. <laughs> Cause we've been living with it forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what were some of your takeaways from this um, convo?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot. It was hard for me to not ask a billion questions throughout because I kept wanting to follow up with more questions and reflections. Um, But I guess like the first thing is um, really how Jesse shared how by, you know, doing therapy and by um, practicing meditation, that it actually helped him tap more into his masculinity And he shared like the different ways that it rippled out into many different areas of his life. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was, I mean, I just thought that was so powerful because I think sometimes the stigma is like, you know, oh, therapy is for weak people or therapy is for females or, you know, like there's always this. And it actually helped him tap more into his masculinity and feel like, more like a man or more mm-hmm. more masculine um and so that that to me was like a huge like aha moment and a takeaway and then the way he explained how it rippled out it was like yeah therapy isn't just there for your anxiety it actually helps you in all these different areas of your life
1: yeah and it kind of draws on the same conclusion when it came to his meditation practice too mm-hmm. right and i just love that he was turned on to meditation from his dad, another male yeah. figure, right? Yeah. And how, and the stigma that it surrounds therapy in terms of, you know, it's more for weak people, for for women, right? For, mm-hmm. for people that, you know, have big emotions and need to get yeah. them out kind of thing. Again, more stigma and more stereotyping for gender roles. But I love that part too. I, that really stood out to me as well about how that was an empowering piece and that he's able to bring, he's able to be a masculine figure, right? Mm-hmm. Which is hopefully going to be able to inspire more men, yeah. more people that identify as male to get in touch with their feelings, to practice meditation, to right. consider therapy as, as, you know, a method of, of coping with anxiety or anything else. And I agree that, um, when he talks a lot about creativity and how he felt like continuously tapped into being more creative when he was, feeling more at home in his mind and body, right? Mm -hmm. Which therapy and meditation were able to help provide for him. Right. Right. Yeah. I would love to know, and we touched on this in the episode, I remember it so vividly, how a person considers himself peaked in the seventh grade (sighs) of all age groups, right? Yeah. I know you and I both had visceral reactions to hearing you say that, but then when he kind of explained it, it was like, oh yeah. Like that's a time in, in a child's life or, you know, in a young person's life when, they, they aren't necessarily thinking as hard, I, I guess, depending on the kid. Right. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I felt like I thought really hard about what other people thought about me yes. in middle school, but then I lost a lot of that fear when I got to high school strangely. Yeah. And then it came back later in life. So like, it just goes to show that it's different for everybody, right? you know, but that, and youth and adolescence could have a, you know, a varying impact on you, mm-hmm. depending on your personality and how you're raised and, I just think it's so interesting talking to an individual who was like, this was such a great and empowering time in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What is that?
0: Like, wow. Middle school doesn't suck for
1: everybody. (laughs) Wow. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You can peak in middle school or like middle school can teach you if you are feeling very free in your body in middle school. Right. Then Mm -hmm. that's, that's sort of the person you want to hold on to as you grow. Right. Right. Yeah. And,
0: you know, there were so many pieces in the middle school that I, I actually like really wanted to talk about, like you brought up how, um, you know, as kids get older and bigger, right. Mm -hmm. They all, all of a sudden get these expectations to behave more like grownups, even though their brains aren't fully developed. Um, but the other piece of it was also taller kids have oftentimes more expectations too. Mm -hmm. So because he's, you know, six, one, six, two in middle school, right. He's like towering over the teachers. The teachers probably forget this is a 12 year old child in front of me.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And so I just feel like it's so important, like for anyone working with kids, like think about the age and again, even age to an extent doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but, don't get so sidetracked by like the height of someone but then also just like i feel like we've said this before but just how powerful the grown-ups are you know like um how his behavior was communicating something right he mm-hmm. wanted to be a leader he enjoyed community and bringing all his peers together even if they all had separate interests and the way he did that was like you know by you know playing um Tricks, tricks isn't the word I want. Pranks. Pranks. Yeah, like pranking, yeah by yeah. like pranking um the girls. Um, but but and again, this is like the 80s and 90s, so we know we weren't as like hip two things back then. Um, but unfortunately the teachers didn't see his leadership qualities, and instead they threatened him with a two-year punishment, and just how How that changes someone when there's always constantly this threat hanging over them for two years. And the Mm -hmm. threat is not like just you'll get expelled from school, but it's you will lose your friends, you will lose your phone, your parents will be disappointed in you, right? Like there was all these different threats. And so you know, being a leader and then being told you can't be a leader. Like that's the message that a kid would probably interpret that as right. It like dims that light or dims that creativity. It's just grownups have a lot of power when we're with kids.
1: I mean, he said as much himself, he felt suppressed. Yeah. I mean, two years is an, is a significant amount of time. Right. And so you imagine how you as an adult, anyone would feel if, you had over, like you, like you just said, walking on eggshells, always this idea of being punished, hanging over your head.
0: Yeah.
1: And what I, what I found fascinating, which we've, again, we didn't have the time to get into it with him, but like it started from when he was speaking about having the performance anxiety, um, surrounding sports when it was just his peers. Mm-hmm. He said he found really secure and he was able to just like kill it on the court. Yeah. But then not just parents, his parents, just parents in general, yeah. grown ups his friend's parents, he actually said at one point, right. The idea of grownups watching him had clearly an effect on him. And, and we learned later that, you know, lived in a lived in an affluent area where the expectations were that you have a certain type of job, that you make a certain amount of money that, you know, you accumulate a certain amount of wealth and power. And clearly that was impressioned on him from a young age, maybe inadvertently, right. To, To a certain extent, but it's just it always just is so fascinating for us I think to hear about people's um, their relationship to their anxiety starting from a young age yeah. regardless of whether or not they thought it was anxiety right um, right is always just so interesting mm-hmm. um, I really loved hearing about the way um, Jesse uses different strategies to help mm-hmm. deal with his anxiety in the moment you yeah. know things like we've mentioned before just with you and me just becoming your anxiety's friend, embracing Mm -hmm. it, showing it love, being curious about it, um, meditating on it, using movement, right? Whether it's just, you don't have to go do a cardio, he said, but you can maybe step outside, get get a quick blast of fresh air and sun Mm -hmm. and take a brisk walk. Yeah, You know, it's like there is literally endless amounts of types of movement, seated, standing, you know, full body, part of the body, that seemed to really help him and I really resonated with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. It's like just change a little bit, change your breath, change your scenery, mm-hmm. you know, do some push-ups, just making a change can make a shift. Um, totally. I really appreciated that he touched on the um pressure of being like a leader in the in the meditation and wellness field. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do notice a shift where more people that are leading in this field are more embracing their humanness they're not using it as spiritual bypassing or as toxic pos- positivity and they're not gaslighting right but when i first started getting in the wellness field um in the early 2000s um it was different it was like oh i need to aspire to have all this peace And anytime anything happens, I need to reflect in like myself, like, what is this person like reflecting to me, even if that person was being abusive, it's like, oh, why do I have, you know, and, and I really appreciate him touching on the pressure of, you know how you present yourself in this field, but also him embracing, you know what, I'm a unique individual. I'm a Scorpio. I'm moody. And uh, I'm going to allow myself to be all of me because I really think that that's what the wellness field needs. It yes. doesn't need a bunch of people that have it all together, right? Mm-hmm. We need human people accepting the human experience, you know, and sharing practices that help them on their journey.
1: Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. I loved re-listening to that part of the chat too. Just how to me, it's the most powerful thing that a wellness person can offer me. And so that's yeah. why I think I know I strive for it. I'm sure I can speak for you a little, you a little bit that this is what more of us need to be striving for in this industry is yeah. being yourself, speaking as yourself, speaking yeah. about the beautiful mess as he called it. Yeah. Because that is the only way I feel that you can really connect to another person and connect to, and in connecting to another person's experience, you can hopefully tap into it, connect better to your own experience right? through validation, through listening, you know, just more openness and curiosity. So, yeah.
0: And if you're, if you're pretending as the teacher, as this person, you have it all together. What are you actually teaching other people? What they're thinking is what's wrong with me? Why can't I get there? I yep. still have my anxiety. I still am moody. I'm still snappy at people, you know, like yes, just gives a lot more permission for people to accept who they are. And then the, the willingness to make changes for the things they don't want to be, having yeah. part of, you know, who they don't want to be or what they
1: don't want to have. They can relax and be themselves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah. there's there's so much safety in that. And yeah. So good! Yeah, such a great conversation. Yes, uh, we yes. hope that all of you warriors loved listening to our interview with Jesse. Thank you, Jesse, again for being with us. Um, as always, you know where to find us. Mm-hmm. And if you're this is your first episode, you're going to find out right now. You can connect <laughs> with us on Instagram at Anxiety Warriors Podcast. You can shoot me and us a DM if you have topic ideas, stuff you enjoyed about the podcast anything you want to share we're here for you. Um, you can also shoot us an email at anxiety at gmail.com uh, and you know say all the same things how much you love us <laughs> what you are hoping to hear um, from us in the future and future episodes topic ideas if you think you'd be a great fit as a guest on our show we'd love for you to connect reach out do not hesitate everyone's anxiety story is important and needs to be heard And we would love to hear yours. And Mm. if you have two seconds, which I know you do, you're holding a phone, most likely Mm. jump on over to Apple podcasts, smash that five-star reading, leave us a short or long review, let the world know where they can find the anxiety warriors. So we can grow our fam and Mm. keep doing this very important work. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us warriors. We love you. Yes.
0: Thank you so much for going on this journey with us. We're so grateful you're here till next time.